Grassroots Radio Conference has been a giant jumpstart in my learning process. Jennifer Waits reports back from the Grassroots Radio Conference, which was hosted by the new LPFM in Hot Springs, Arkansas. The host station, KUHS LP, they were saying, yeah, this is great to host this conference because we have all of these experts in their field coming through our station and giving us advice about things. <laughs> That's right. Jennifer met with KUHS's DJ Cat Daddy, whose weekly show connects him to his father and their shared memories. All the music that I play, a lot of it, is connected to my dad. Is He laughs because at the end of the show, he'll love the show, and then he'll say, okay, why'd you play this one? And I'll tell him, and he goes, you remember that? And I'm like, Pop, that's all I remember. It's all about the love of music today. Jennifer brings us the voices from her trip to the GRC that really drive home the power of community radio. I like the freedom of being able to express myself, the involvement in the community, and the way that everything about the station is open to the community. You know, uh, we're tied to our community in ways that your commercial radio stations, even local ones, aren't. So it's a very special grassroots radio conference this year because there are so many low-power FM community radio stations that are brand new. I often felt apologetic saying that I was at a station that had been around since 1959 because <laughs> most people were saying, you know, they've been on the air for a year or they're waiting to get on the air. All that coming up. Plus, a community radio DJ reveals to Jennifer her plan to surprise her husband, a fellow DJ, with a wedding anniversary musical set. Now that's the kind of romance and heart they can only get on community radio. It's amazing. You know, I know the power of music and I know how therapeutic it can be to have a show and how music can be connected to stages of your life. And it's just amazing to talk to three DJs at a station and, and to have them articulate that, you know, within very short interviews with me. Welcome to Radio Survivor, the sound of strong communities. My name is Eric Klein. Hello, everybody. My name is Paul Reese-Manel, and joining us via Skype in the interwebs is Jennifer Waits, who is here from San Francisco, California. Hello. Greetings. Well, well, Jennifer uh, was just at the Grassroots Radio Conference, so we're definitely going to talk about that this show and hear more about uh, that event that happened in Hot Springs, Arkansas, one week ago from uh, our recording today. But first... I actually had a little bit of news, and it's it's interesting news, a story I've been following now for a couple of years, because this is how these things often play out. And it's a radio station in Ireland broadcast by RTE, which is the Irish you know, state radio service, or like the BBC. And it's a station called uh, RTE 252, and it broadcasts on a service called Longwave which is not a service we use here in the United States. And Longwave, as the name sort of implies, has very long waves, right? Super long waves. The frequencies are lower than AM radio. So if we think about AM radio, at the very bottom of the AM radio dial is about uh, 580 kilohertz, right? So that's 580,000 cycles a second. Long wave would be down around 200, in this particular station, 252,000 cycles per second. So does that literally mean that you can uh, hear it 
at a longer distance? It does. Okay. Um, not because the waves are long per se, but because that's just how that particular type of lit wave uh, transmits. So it's never been used really in North America for, for broadcast. It's been used for ship-to-shore communications. It's been used for all sorts of other purposes. Uh, but it's been used in Europe for a long time because it does travel long distances really well. So the Irish uh, Broadcast Authority has been using this station basically to serve the Irish diaspora in the United Kingdom in places like Wales. And I think it reaches even into parts of Scotland um, because, you know, uh, because of the, the history of the Irish people and at one point being under the thumb of the British uh, and often being forced to, to move due to all sorts of economic necessity. Uh, there's quite a rich diaspora. And this has allowed them to sort of tune in what very easily of, Irish radio. What kind of radio do you tune it in on? You, you on a radio, so you would have you would buy a radio like like you would any place else, and it would have a long wave band. Okay, AM, FM, long wave, LW, LW, and not, sometimes the radio might even and have how many short wave. And how many? So how many miles might it transmit? It might transmit a good five hundred miles or so, but but very wow. consistently, very Neat. reliably, and it sounds like AM radio. It sounds basically like AM radio. It uses amplitude mod- modulation, so the same basic type of uh, type of broadcast schema. But two years ago, the Irish uh, broadcaster said they were going to shut down the long wave service. Um, it's very expensive, in part just because it requires an enormous antenna, an enormous sort of uh, uh, antenna plant, and the transmitters obviously are sort of ancient. It's not; they're not like long wave transmitters in production right now. I think yeah. you can. So it, they were saying it just costs a lot to, to maintain this service. And they in, felt like it wasn't for a lot of, of people. The internet. Right. Again, in the age of the internet, because this, the service basically rebroadcasts radio one, which is the talk and, and entertainment, uh, service of, of the Irish broadcasting company, uh, RTE. So it basically just rebroadcast they, that. Did they just have that one station or were there other long wave that stations? That is the only long wave station that the, that, being broadcast from Ireland. There are other long wave stations still existent in, in uh, Europe and elsewhere, but um, that's the only one that, that was being broadcast from Ireland. So they announced that this was going to go away. And their argument was, yes, was basically that, that you can use internet radio and listen to all the RTE, RTE channels that you'd want to, right? There are lots and lots of them. Um, but there was a public uproar, a big pushback, um, cause originally they said, uh, that they were going to turn it off by around January, 2015, big public pushback that pushed the date to 2017. Hmm. Um, part of that pushback was there, there was a group of, of, uh, basically kind of like a nonprofit group that kind of, uh, represents, uh, the Irish diaspora around the UK that decided to do some research and find out, well, let's actually find out, are people listening to this station? And I guess it's not uncommon to be able to have a long wave radio in your car. Oh. Right. So a lot of uh, folks who were quoted said, no, I listen to this in my car um, and I'm not about to try and wire a smartphone into my car stereo and go through all this nonsense so I can listen to the uh, Irish broadcasting service. I want to just be able to tune it in like I always have on my radio. Yeah, too much data. And what they found is that most of their respondents uh, said that they listened every day or almost every day. So it was a daily thing that they mm. were listening wow. to this uh, long wave broadcast. And so just uh, just about a week ago, they announced that 
there's a stay of execution that they have, oh. they have now uh, ended current plans to turn off the RTE long wave service. And just to kind of put this in perspective, all around Europe, they've been turning off medium wave AM radio services. Uh, there's, it's never been quite, you know, European radio differs quite a bit from, uh, radio in the United States and Canada and Mexico, where we have this very well-developed kind of commercial system. You're used to having dozens and dozens of stations in most cities. Europe doesn't tend to be that way. Usually the state broadcaster, a few private broadcasters, and the AM dial was never as busy as it is here. The FM dial has never been busy as it is here. And also in places like the UK and a lot of other countries, they also have the digital radio service. DAB. So they also have another broadcast service that they've been trying to move people towards. But it's sort of big news that they decided not to get rid of the service, even though the currently the uh, broadcaster is running at a deficit. So they are looking at places to to try and save some money in their broadcasting services. And I, I, I always love hearing about these what seem like fringe services. And yet the more you sort of peel back the layers, you realize how much there are communities – uh, that still rely on them uh, in, in in such a tremendous sort of way, and it's the sort of thing that like um, you would take it for granted if everyone's just turning it on and and they've been able to turn it on their entire lifetime, yeah, and their parents' lifetime sounds like, mm-hmm. then why would they even ever imagine that they'd have to make a stink, yeah, to keep it going? How fascinating! And the um, do we know? Go ahead. Do we know where most of the listeners are from who are tuning in? Um, throughout the UK, I guess there's a fair amount of concentration in in Wales as well, um, but but most mostly in England proper. But that's about as much as we know. Um, I mean, the signal mm. will go. I mean, it goes all the way as far east as Wales, so that's pretty far um, from Ireland, really. And since it's state funded, they've probably never in their lives had to uh, tolerate like a fundraising. No, pitch. exactly. Yeah, that that's a fairly uniquely uh, American. And to some extent, Canadian Enterprise, the uh, the fun drive, uh, and and apparently RTE did try to get a digital signal in the UK. The digital infrastructure there is very different from the way we think of broadcasting. And basically, the BBC uh, operates, you know, transmission sites, and then other the BBC uses them, and then other private broadcasters can bid. For, for a channel. Mm-hmm. Kind of it's kind of more like satellite TV almost in that way. But RTE lost its bid. So they were actually going to try and sort of replace it with a digital service, which would be which probably would be less expensive for them to operate. But uh, they did not their bid lost out and in then, the auction. And then the Irish diaspora in the United Kingdom would have to pay they would have to. Well, they would have to pay. I mean, they have to get a new radio. They'd have to buy new radios. Yeah, but then but, they'd get uh, free radio. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You, you don't you don't pay for digital radio. You don't pay for the service. You just simply pay for right, the okay. radio. I confused it with satellite radio. Correct. Yeah, it's not like satellite radio. It's a terrestrial service. It's a separate set of frequencies. Sure. Uh, but the radios are not terrifically expensive. They're only slightly more expensive than it might cost. To get everybody would have to get new radios. That's yeah, and and probably a lot of them would have them. Right. I mean, the place, again, where you probably see where people don't have them would be in their cars, I think. Um, you know, only newer, much newer model cars would have them. You know, and then that's the thing we talked about uh, last year about, you know, there was news that uh, Norway, Norway was going to end its FM uh, analog service and move to uh, to DAB broadcasting and move all digital. And, you know, and there's still lots of holes yeah. in, in, in terms of the in terms of service that that would occur in such a transition. 
the thing that I that this always makes me think about is that like um you can imagine a scenario if this were to happen in the United States that the transition would result in a more homogenous and privatized radio landscape. It wouldn't have to be that way, but once it's it's kind of the Naomi Klein disaster capitalism model. Like once big changes take place, they tend to, to go in that direction as opposed to the the more open, free and diverse direction. And so that's like why we would fear change like this. Yeah, I mean in 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 Europe broadcast is so different than here. You know, so I'm not saying that that wouldn't apply. Um, certainly, that was one of the concerns in Norway because uh, outside of the major cities, the much of the broadcasters are like local independent broadcasters still on FM. Mm-hmm. Um, though the I think the plan was to eventually move them onto one of these uh, DAB broadcasting clusters that they would basically get a signal. Um, so I'm not not a hundred percent sure that that it would mean uh, total uh, decimation of uh, sort of independent and more local broadcasting in Europe. In the U.S., it would be I think tremendously different uh, situation because we have a tremendously more diverse uh, broadcasting uh, world. Even with consolidation. Uh, there's still simply more broadcasters in the U.S. than there are in in most countries. Also noting, though, that it is a country. You know, this is a country of 300 million people. You know, it, 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 which is hard to compare to even the U.K. in terms of scope and size. Anyway, so that's a little news from abroad. I always like to kind of keep that going and show that uh, that as well. And I think we've seen this. You know, we've seen this here in the U.S. as uh, many times. It makes a difference to raise your voice. It makes a difference to speak up about the services you love, including radio. Um, you know, in that even a, it was a decade ago when we've talked about many times this year about the uh, as the anniversary of the uh, of the um, Communications uh, Act of 1996. We talked a lot about the Michael Powell Bush era FCC that was making these. Uh, sort of sleight of hand moves to allow more consolidation and eventually force the hand of the FCC to hold uh, public comment uh, meetings all over the country where people, uh, average people jammed them full to tell the FCC we're sick of the consolidation that's happened. We're sick of the lack of service. We're, we're sick of what's happened to our radio dial. You cannot allow more to happen. And that was at least one factor in, in the gas being, you know, laying off the gas on consolidation. And it, we have not returned, obviously, to our pre-1996 state, but the fact that there's been a break at all, to some extent, is because people raise their voices. And here's another chance. Here's another another example of that, I think. So we try to pay attention to this sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, I love it. I can't now, – now I just feel all these romantic feelings for, for Irish radio. I'm going to check it out. I once had a radio <laughs> with Longwave and when I was a kid – it was a Radio Shack radio and a shortwave too. And back, back when Radio Shack sold radios. Exactly. And when I lived in New Jersey, you, once in a while I could I could pick up a long wave broadcast from from Europe. I think it kind of must have bounced along the water for all intents and purposes. <laughs> when like, like a stone. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, um, yeah, I think uh, you know there were times when uh, just atmospheric conditions were right, or oceanic conditions were just right, and you you get the sort of faint signal of uh, of, uh, of an actual broadcast. The rest of the time, you'd hear Morse code, so the ship to shore kind Neat. of communication. Mm, cool. 
Um, and I would love to hear. I know we have, and I say this with love. I know we have some true, true radio nerds in our audience. So uh, some of you folks, uh, you know, what do you know about long wave? Have you been listening to it? Uh, have you picked up distant long wave signals? So I know some of you are really into DXing, uh, tuning in, kind of like long, long distance signals. Love to hear a little bit more. Neat. Maybe, maybe some of you have heard uh, the Irish service. Uh, here in North America, or or some of you folks who are in Europe, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email, podcast at radiosurvivor.com. So, the Grassroots Radio Conference, uh, you and I, uh, Eric, we, we, we sort of previewed it some last week. We've been talking about it for four We've episodes in a for, row. Yeah, right. We've been and, enjoying <laughs> this topic. Exactly. I like it. You talk, it's true. We've week, had a good buildup. You talked to Jim Ellinger, who gave a presentation about international community radio at the Grassroots Radio Conference. And Jennifer, you said you had some follow-up on some of the things that we said last week. Yeah, I took a listen to your fine podcast from last week. And and I was struck that a few things that you mentioned, in addition to talking to Jim Ellinger, but a few things were related to things that came up at the conference, which I thought was pretty cool. And, and you know, it indicates to me that the conference was discussing some timely topics. Uh, so you mentioned news about Audience Engine, that it was um, going to be rolled out in early 2017. And in fact, Ken Friedman from WFMU presented at the Grassroots Radio Conference. And oh. he, talked about, he talked about Audience Engine and did a demo of it. Um, and, you know, I'd been reading our coverage about Audience Engine for a while now, but I still didn't completely understand it. So it was a great opportunity. It was a great opportunity to see it demonstrated, and now I feel like I have a better handle on it. And please pretty, share, yeah. Oh, please neat. share. So, so yeah, what was what like? What was this thing that you now understand what, that you could not understand just from all the talk? What is it? Well, so um, Ken talked about how a lot of us are sort of seeding some of our, or, you know, we're sort of um, losing some of our listening audience online. We're losing those people to social media sites and other places where they might be having conversations about our radio station. So we might spend a lot of time on our radio station's Facebook page or Instagram account um, or Twitter. And with Audience Engine, it's a way to bring the community of fans you have back to your site to have those conversations rather than having them elsewhere. Um, so that's something I didn't quite understand before. So it's, it's a set of tools where you can have your listeners log into your website and create accounts, and then they can chat with your DJs uh, within a playlist, actually, which is something that WFMU has had in various forms for quite a while now, but they're going to be making that available to other radio stations, hopefully in early 2017. So you can create a login for your DJs and for your listeners so that they can interact with each other on your own website. So that's one piece of it. And then it also contains tools for fundraising that have a lot of um, really specific ways to break it down too. So you could have people donate and have the donation sort of credited to a particular DJ or show if you want, or divided across a number of shows. So if your station is interested in seeing, like you can even have your DJs set a goal for themselves on their program. And then you can have the donations 
tallied against individual DJ goals in addition to your station goals. Um, so all that was pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, and he was talking about also ways to control the, um, so that you don't have out of hand troll like behavior. So there's always a moderator whenever you have chats and chats have a beginning, middle and end. So he, he didn't like the idea of having an unlimited chat and felt like that's where you can run into trouble with abusive behavior. Uh, you mean like sort of like a constantly open channel kind of. Yeah. Right? And so yeah. it'd be sort of, sort of almost more like if you've ever done a chat with like a customer service agent online, like it start like the starts, you go in and then, and then when you're done, it ends. And it's sort of tied to when the show is occurring. So the chats happen when the show is on. One thing I'm not entirely clear about is, um, if people are listening in the archives, they can also chat within the chat for that show. But if it's um, if it's at a later time, I'm not sure how that resides. Although Ken mentioned that there have been some chats that have become active again just because of that reason, where people are maybe listening in the archives hmm. and resurrecting a chat. It's almost more um, like a message. So it's interesting. In that case. When you were describing Ken talking about the fundraising module for Audience Engine, it reminded me that I have interacted with a DJ who was live on the air at WFMU via my iPhone. And it was exciting and thrilling that, that there was a little, just like being on Facebook or Twitter, but it was... Was it their app? It was WFMU's app, yeah. yes. And I was interacting. I was able to uh, throw my comment into the comment stream. It was actually incredibly active at the time. Yeah. Uh, and that was neat, but it made me realize that... Um, Oh, I'm going to say the word millennials. Forgive me. But isn't it – if there is a public radio fundraising model for the future, it's clearly going to be phone-based giving. Well, right. I think – well, yeah. It, that, well, mobile phone. It, yeah. yeah. I mean putting these all together, right? If there's something that community radio has to offer that commercial radio really doesn't, it is that level of true human interaction in that, in the fact that community radio stations, college radio stations, by and large, continue to be staffed by passionate people sure. who are live on the air and, and providing that back channel, the, the ability to interact with them, right? Yeah, is is the way to solidify that relationship, and right? Which makes people want to give. Partly that's possible sometimes just because it's not the most popular radio station in the country, right? So they have. They have the time to interact with all their fans because there's just a few less of them. Right, right. It's not like Rush Limbaugh who takes one or two calls over the course of an hour because and there's uh, there's you know thousands of calls lined up for him. Maybe not the best example, but yeah. you know, but but giving you an idea Rush because Limbaugh's you're never a good example. You're, you're hyper local, but of course also your chat room or kind of situation allows more people to take part in the conversation, right? So it's it's not on air. Right. It's it's the as as it's often called the second screen. Right. Yeah. It's when people are like tweeting while watching uh, the presidential debate or while watching Game of Thrones or, or anything like that. So, right. It, it provides it, that other channel. But I think uh, that, that point of like that interaction, because if we think about some new fangled kind of uh, of fundraising, whether it's like Patreon, which we do, or there's things like Kickstarter, there's a highly interactive part of that. Right, the sense of that you're part of a community. Often there's there is definitely a forum. There's there's chat, and there's a sense that there's uh, a lot of direct communication. And I think that this definitely falls much more into that line 
and, and having it all together in one platform makes a ton yeah, of sense to exciting. me because you're not asking if, if you have these fans in particular who are very used to interacting or using your app to listen or you know send in requests or read playlists, using it to give is not a big leap forward. Jennifer, I'm, I'm really curious right. how, the, how the LPFM grassroots radio conference community uh, responded to Ken's talk. Were there any like uh, direct questions oh. or challenges? I mean, people seemed excited. They were asking when it was going to be available. There was a student from a college radio station there, um, not an LPFM, but a Class D station, actually. And and the student is was the tech director, and he had a ton of questions. He was super interested. So I could see his brain just kind of thinking ahead. Um, and Let's call that I want to go back to, yeah, <laughs> I was thinking back to when you were talking about young people, and, and Ken was saying that, um, the people who are chatting through the FMU chat tend to be younger um, in general mm, than, yeah. you know, the younger part of their audience. And they, they've made the, the fundraising very easy for people to use on mobile. Um, and I think you can get billed directly without getting a piece of paper in the mail. So it's, it's all very forward thinking technologically. Right. And so did you have any other follow-up for us besides Audience Engine? Yeah. Um, so also on the podcast last week, you were talking about a new LPFM window and that we really don't know if there will be one and if so, when. Um, and Michi Bradley from REC Networks, she was there um, doing a number of sessions at the Grassroots Radio Conference. And I was really surprised to hear that um, – well, I'm not surprised by this, but she said she'd like to see another LPFM window in 2020 and added that 2023 is more realistic. So I didn't even realize that this was sort of on the horizon where people were putting dates out there as possibilities. Well, she so. said she'd like to see it. Did, exactly. Did, did she say that she that she was operating off of any sort of actual indication from the FCC? Because, I mean, I've heard this talk. Like, I've heard people yeah. talking. Like, that would be She's pretty, a time. I feel like she's pretty connected. She's very concerned about policy and she seems to have a read on what's going on at the FCC. So it sounded like it was more than just a, a random, um, you know, if it were to happen, it would not happen before 2020. Let's get her on the phone. That's going to be my response to every single person. Exactly. Well, uh, yeah, she's a, she's a great person. (laughs) Well, and um, I also realized I also realized when she introduced herself that I've been saying Rec Networks and it's REC Networks, so that was I see. It's always helpful. <laughs> I don't know. I, I've heard everyone call it Rec too, so because uh, yeah. it's REC and NET. Yeah, she said REC Network. Um, so yeah, it it was it was good to hear that, and she said it's fine. She hears people say Rec all the time. Um, <laughs> She also mentioned that Prometheus is all volunteer now, which I also did not know. Mm. So um, she was talking about the need for more help um, as far as working on policy work related to low power FM and other things important to us who are radio broadcasters. So that was, I was, I was sad to hear that because Prometheus has been doing so much um, and they don't have as many resources behind them as they used to, apparently. Funding is always difficult in this area. And I think that's why it's part of this ongoing conversation of 
of, you know, how do we provide this level of support? And, and if you think about it, commercial radio has that. It's called the National Association of Broadcasters. Very well funded. I mean, obviously it's funded from the – based upon membership fees uh, from the member broadcasters. Uh, but it's very well funded to do things like work on policy, advocate on behalf of what they believe the interests of commercial broadcasters are. Um, and there continues to be that need in in community radio. The NFCB, the National Federation of Community Broadcasters, does provide some of that. So they, they definitely deserve credit uh, on that issue. But when it came to low power FM in particular, um, it really was a Prometheus radio project, uh, folks at Common Frequency. Um, early on, it was the United Church of Christ. Um, provided a, quite a bit of support, as did uh, Michi at REC Networks. Um, and to continue to have that advocate um, there to make sure that what has been established for Low Power FM is not eroded, I think is certainly important. Plus, if there if there is another uh, window for applications, um, I know that uh, the folks from all those groups, but especially this last time around, especially Prometheus, REC Networks, and Common Frequency, uh, did a lot of advisory work and and definitely made sure uh, to submit their comments and thoughts to the FCC to give that guidance of, of what would help make things work best on the ground. So um, that's something it's important yeah. to know that. Um, yeah. So those were my um, uh, sort of follow-ups on last week's thank podcast. You, uh, thank yeah, you for, for, uh, <laughs> for doing that, for doing our work for us there, for, for doing that follow-up. <laughs> so this year, so the grassroots radio conference, you know, we've talked about it for a few weeks here. Uh, you know, it's, so it's really folks who are coming from community radio, but as you mentioned, there was someone there from college radio and it's, it's a very, it's a very uh, grassroots endeavor, hence its name, but because there really isn't like a governing body. There's no not a money, president. just a list. It, it's really just a list and people get together and do things. And, and you went last time uh, with me, we were both in Urbana, Illinois at the 2012 uh, grassroots That's right. conference. Was there anything different this time around uh, now, four years later? Yeah. Well, I mean, the huge difference to me was that, it felt dominated by low power FM stations this time around in 2012. It felt like there was this energy anticipating the low power FM application window. So there was a lot of programming surrounding getting ready to apply, you know, all the things you need to get together um, and prepare in order to apply for a license and build a station. And, and this time around, it felt like there were a lot of stations that, we're new to newly on the air or we're getting close to getting on the air. So I felt like there were a lot of very pragmatic sessions geared towards those stations because maybe now that they're up and running, they've got very specific engineering questions, questions about fundraising, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, you know, I went back and looked, I wrote a piece for radio world in 2012. Um, and I looked back at that, and, and one of the quotes from Daniel, uh, is it Chenoweth? Daniel um, Chenoweth, yes. Yeah, she, she was a member of the Prometheus Outreach Team and a board member at the Urbana-Champaign Independent Media Center, which was hosting um, the conference in 2012. Um, at the time, she said radio was a means for us to make a transformation and she felt that the United States was on the cusp of the birthing of the next generation of community radio. So she said that in 2012, and 
And I have to say, four years later, it it really feels like that's true. You, you know, I felt the excitement of these brand new stations from all these different pockets in the United States, um, you know, many of them in, in cities, which is something we weren't, you know, we weren't really that optimistic about that happening. So it was, that was maybe the most pronounced thing was hmm. just that we're at a different point um, with all these new LPFMs. Yeah, that's like the real evolution of the grassroots radio conference, you know, having now existed for about 20 years because it really was in service for established stations by and large uh, for much of that time. But, you know, it, from 1996 into 2000, we had the first window for LPFMs. I wasn't at, you know, I went to one in 2000 and I don't remember a ton of uh, low power or wannabe low power stations there, but that could be my memory and not. Um, not the actuality. Uh, so we had that first sort of influx of folks into community radio. I mean, the first big one in a very long time, but it kind of settles out, right? And everyone gets onto the, to the business of just running their stations. And now we're at this other stage in which we have this other build out and it's a build out, which in so many ways feels bigger than it did even 16 years ago in that first window. And I suspect it's because of the urban stations. And um, in some ways, I think that uh, there's been more networking and more uh, more folks coming together than, than, than happened. And there's more, more efforts to have that outreach so that they folks even know about a GRC and know that there's a place in the come. I feel like that's a real advancement over, over what happened 16 years ago. So I'm glad to, to yeah. hear that you felt that on the ground. Well, and, and, you know, technology has changed. And so I think a lot of people have been getting to know each other through Facebook groups. So, yeah, there was probably a real coming together of some people who maybe had conversed but never met in person. So that was kind of cool. Uh, and it, interestingly, and, and I don't know the number of LPFMs versus full power stations that were there. Um, I've been trying to track down that information. It's a bit... It's a yeah. bit unclear, but, um, but just being there in the room when the questions would be asked and people would say where they were from, um, I often felt apologetic saying that I was at a station that had been around since 1959 because <laughs> most people were saying, you know, they've been on the air for a year or they're waiting to get on the air. So it was an interesting turn where those of us at longtime college or community stations were sort of at least the outsiders, as far as um, some of the sessions, you know, as it, it sort of felt that way in some of the sessions. And there were certainly sessions that were geared entirely towards low power FM, which was great. Um, and none of this is a criticism because I think, you know, what's important right now is supporting these low power FM stations. And I think a lot of the established people from established stations were helping to share all of the knowledge that they've gained from being on the air for a longer period of time. So that's also a really beautiful thing. Yeah. And there's a lot to learn. I think often when you're in the position of teaching or sort of uh, mentoring, um, different questions get raised. Sometimes it often causes you to 
maybe put fresh eyes on the ways you always done things and maybe wonder if maybe uh, there shouldn't be some change at your own station, even if it's been around for a long time. So, I, I mean, I think always talking uh, – someone who's at a, a station that's been around a long time can always benefit from – uh, working with, I think, a brand new station, you know, and is you know, as, and benefit as much as the as that new station benefits from talking to you. So that's that's great to hear. So I mean, you told us a little bit about you know, um, hearing some things at some sessions uh, that that Michelle Bradley uh, shared and and Ken Friedman share. Is is there anything else? Is there is there any any one session or 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 part that you that you thought was most valuable that you got the the biggest sort of sort of takeaway from? Well, it's funny because this is, you know, going back to your podcast from last week also, you were saying that, you know, some of some of the best learning actually comes from the casual interactions and getting to meet people um, at a conference. And, and that was definitely the case. And I heard that in chatting with people that, um, and I think it might be in one of the interviews that, that we may play on the podcast too, that, that somebody mentioned that they learned a whole bunch of things from the conference, but they also learned who to reach out to if they have a question about such mm-hmm. and such. So Jennifer found a relatively quiet room at KUHS, the solar-powered LPFM that hosted the GRC. And we're going to hear from two attendees that she interviewed, both from KPSQLP in Fayetteville, Arkansas, uh, Julia Rose and program manager Keith Richards. How about you? Is this your first time seeing another station? Well, yes, and I'm impressed with the level of um, sophistication here and just the technical aspects. This is a brand new world for me, and a grassroots radio conference has been a giant uh, jump start in my learning process here. So, What are some of the things that you guys have picked up? I know that's a huge question, but do you have a favorite moment from the conference that's sticking with you or something that you want to follow up on later? Well, for me, the personal stories, meeting people from different parts of the country. And at this particular event, they're from everywhere. They're from all over. So just learning about different stations and the way they go about programming and to throw new ideas in for... um, throw new ideas that might happen for our station. So, mm-hmm. And for me, it's uh, picking up things that I'm needing to know now as music, as program manager, uh, music licensing, and um, um, just some of the tech stuff I need to know. Um, and it's not that I've learned it all here, but now I know the people to go to to ask the questions. Um, yeah. And I know, and there's some people with a amazing depth of knowledge that are really into it and really willing to share. That's wonderful. You know, so some of that networking is just knowing who to ask, which is great, you know, and that was happening throughout the entire conference, just, you know, figuring out who was knowledgeable and the people at, um, the host station, KUHS LP, uh, they were saying, yeah, this is great to host this conference because we have all of these experts in their field coming through our station and giving us advice about things. <laughs> That's right. It's, so it's like actually the world's really greatest strat- consult. <laughs> I know. It's the it's actually a really good strategy for a new station. Yeah, I never um, thought of it that way. That's uh, that's pretty smart. Maybe that'll help. Uh, it'll it'll have people clamoring to host next year. Um, was there? So, I know. Was there? So was there anything particular then you learned? Whether it was at a session or whether it was talking to somebody else, uh, it was sort of an aha or or that really you were like, wow, 
you, you really walked away with, with your eyes opened? Well, the, um, the very last session that I attended was actually on Monday. So, um, we're recording the podcast on Friday and so it was Monday right before I left to go to the airport and, um, Ursula Rinberg, um, gave a presentation that was ostensibly about, um, I don't have the title off the top of my head, but it was ostensibly about how to deal with conflict. And and who is Ursula Rudenberg? Who who is she? Yeah. Um, So she is the volunteer station manager at KHOI, which is a full power community station in Ames, Iowa. And, um, and she was also, she's also worked at Pacifica as the Pacifica affiliate network manager. Yeah. She formerly Um, was the, she was the, the person that you would contact if you wanted to pay Pacifica to air programming. Yeah. A familiar so her, name in her talk, my old world. Her talk was called Managing and Mayhem. <laughs> Why did they do that? <laughs> um, and so she, she presented in person, and then she also had a co-presenter over Skype. Um, oh, and I don't have the name at the top of my, at my fingertips, but he he was a psychologist or a psychiatrist who had actually worked with criminally insane children. And somebody joked like, Oh, and that's like perfect. I think she joked, you know, which is, you know, perfect preparation for dealing with community radio. <laughs> Eric, Eric is doubled over with his hands over his face right now. Just, just to give you all the, and oh, I think please. just about everybody in who's done community radio or college radio for that matter is probably having a similar reaction. I have a lot more empathy yeah. for criminally insane and, children than some of my former colleagues in the Pacific radio. So, so at the beginning of the presentation, they were actually having some technical problems. And so somebody was um, <laughs> dealing with a person on Skype and we could hear it pretty loudly over the speakers while Ursula was beginning the presentation and um and she was like, "Can you turn that down? You know, it's kind of distracting." And um and the tech person was like, "Well, no, I can't." And then and then I think somebody joked like, "Oh my god, this is like, are you doing like a whole um like are you acting? doing a whole <laughs> yeah play acting <laughs> interactive play. example?" Yeah. Um and so then I just started a bunch of us just started cracking up because um because it was so funny. But anyway, they they worked out the technical kinks. Um, but I found I found her presentation to be incredibly useful and relatable, not just for radio, but you know, for any sort of working environment that you're dealing with. And and they basically broke it down. Um, uh, it's going to be too complicated to break it down, but but like you might feel like a situation a conflict is chaotic and horrible and there's no way out of it. And, and they were saying that there are actually systems behind all of this chaos. And once you sort of identify that it becomes easier to deal with it and less daunting. And, and by systems, um, they, they mean not, not necessarily that anyone has designed it. It's not a system like the justice system, but rather that there's actually some sort of internal logic to why things yeah. happen and why people behave the way they do, um, even if that logic is sort of opaque to you. Or right. illogical at its core. And, and a lot of it, I mean, a lot of it rings true as a parent to me, um, yeah. where, you know, when people feel that they don't have control and they start to feel um, insecure, you know, that's when you have 
problems arising. Um, and, and she said, you know, you really need to focus on what the mission of your, of your radio station is and make sure that things are aligning with that mission. And, you know, if, if a conflict arises or somebody's upset about something, you need to see how that aligns with the mission. Um, and they warned against forming alliances against other people that, Mm -hmm. that no good can ever come of that, that it will always come back to bite you. Um, and so if somebody asks you to form an alliance against somebody else, you should never, yeah, you should never feed into that. Um, so I thought it was really helpful and people were like wanting to have the phone number for the expert who is the <laughs> psychologist. Um, so I think it really, you know, I talk, I've talked to various people who had specific situations at their stations in mind where maybe you have somebody who is stirring up trouble and, and how do you, how do you deal with that? And at the end they handed out some, some pamphlets that kind of broke it down so that people had step-by-step instructions on how to handle it. Yeah. So, so so don't form alliances. It sounds like kind of, it sounds like understand what that, if there's a person who seems to be behaving in a problematic way, understand really what their position is and where they're coming from. I think one of the problems is that, uh, some of the radio experience that I have, gosh, I don't want this to turn into a discussion on this episode of the podcast. But if uh, if power is exercised through majority votes, then alliances are inevitable, and that's that was a that specific a radio. Yeah, I mean, it's going to always be different station by station. I think it's in my view, in my under in my experience, very few stations operate fully by majority vote. More often, most most smaller decisions sure, are made. You know, it's only big, big, big decisions but that get made if, by, by I think majority. Ur- but Ursula's career experience <laughs> at at Pacifica uh, and the National Pacifica Board and the uh, the havoc that was uh, exercised by alliances against mm-hmm. one another uh, those were those were natural outcomes of the way the rules were set up. Gosh. Right. Well, I mean, yeah. that, that's anyway, it. Watch how you set up your don't, rules. Don't set up the rules to have. Uh, yeah, I mean, have in my experience, by majority votes. The the biggest mistake right. a group can make is to set up the rules up in a in thinking about how they wish the world would be, rather than thinking about how they actually do their work. And that sounds, you know, it can be hard to wrap your head around that, but. What happens often at new organizations is they want to write that new constitution for the for the for the better state, and it can get complex, and it often does not reflect how people actually behave, and it often does not reflect how everyone actually goes about their business. And then when you try and apply those rules that you come up with in sort of a vacuum, right? You find that they are usually easily manipulated. Um, they can be used as a weapon. Right? It encourages alliances and encourages things um, because often because they come up with a vacuum. They're sort of uh, it's sort of like uh, it's sort of like Greek. It's yeah. like it's like it's like coming up with uh, the Ubermensch, this right? You come up with all these qualities that the that the Uber station should have, and yet nobody can really live up to the Uber station uh, list of qualities and rules. And you're much better off looking at how things actually work around your station, having discussions about that, and having if you need to write rules because you don't always. This is, but if you need to write rules to write them around how things actually work rather have, than how they we should, should work. We should have Ursula and yeah, Matthew right. and her 
her guest that she had on over Skype at the GRC. <laughs> oh yes, it was. And then, it was Peyton Wimmer. Oh, cool. Was the guest. Peyton, we'll have um, Ursula. His and name Peyton, is Peyton Wimmer. And we'll take calls from the listeners, and we'll just do a like a three-hour <laughs> right. call and advice show from the community radio audience. All right. Well, we'll also move away oh, man. from this I mean, topic. <laughs> it'd be a great therapy session. I mean, it kind of felt like a therapy session, yeah. but it all made so much sense. Um, How wonderful. You know, they also said that um, if if somebody's feeling vulnerable and they're made to feel more vulnerable, it creates a more volatile situation. Mm. Yeah. So it's also important to understand where somebody is coming from because there's always a kernel of truth, even if even if they might be sort of on the extreme, there's still is something that you need to listen to and find out what's going on. Yeah. This is so, this is the like a lesson for uh, dealing with Trump supporters. <laughs> like there's if they're feeling vulnerable. Yeah. You right. Why not? No. Absolutely. Understand why right. they're feeling so vulnerable before you just dismiss. It was the morning after the most recent debate when we had this presentation <laughs> point out. So yeah. it was top of mind, I think, for many of us. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. 39%. That's what they say. So um, maybe besides the sort of personnel slash station culture issue, was there any other sort of very common challenge it seems like stations are facing that came up time and time again in various discussions? Um, you know, I think with, with so many new stations, it, it felt like people were just trying to absorb and learn about so many things. Um, you know, there was a marketing session where Jim Ellinger was tossing out a bunch of marketing, marketing ideas for radio stations. Um, and, and based on the questions in the room, I think there were a lot of people who didn't have much understanding about marketing. Um, so and and I and I couldn't be in every session, so of I would course, guess yeah. that was happening in a lot of other sessions where people were just sort of absorbing all the information they can. You know, there were a few sessions about FCC rules, um, a number of sessions about automation systems, live remote broadcasting, what to do in an emergency, and a few that were related to management and station governance. So. I mean, that was my sense is that a lot of people were really gravitating to these pragmatic sessions. Um, and in fact, I was doing more of a sort of fun session about what I've seen on station tours. And that was lightly attended, I think, mm. largely because there were some more practical sessions going on at the same time, like <laughs> the, one about live remotes. The counter programming. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, I... I get that um, if if you're trying to take advantage of all of the expertise that was there at the conference, then you know you're you're going to want to go see those sessions. And I was sad to miss miss some things too. I know that Ken Friedman talked about music licensing, which would have been a good one to see. Well, it, so it does sound like this conference worked very well as as a learning. As, 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 as almost like this uh, kind of uh, seminar on on how to build and operate stations. It sounds like folks who came looking for help in that regard uh, may have really well gotten what they were looking for. Yeah, I think so. Um, that was definitely the sense that I was getting. And, and a lot of positive energy and vibes, I guess, as well, it sounds like. A lot of positive vibes. Um I don't know if you want to talk about the host station a bit. Um, 
KUHS because we got an opportunity to tour their station and they they led a hike to their transmitter site too, which was pretty fun. We went up to the transmitter site at dusk, or, you know, as the sun was setting and walked back down after dark with luckily people had flashlights on their phones for the most part because it was dark. Um, but after that hike, we went back to the station and there was a big crowd of people touring through the station. Um, I got to talk to the DJ who was on the air who... Like normally he's there all by himself on a Sunday night and and he was complete the station was jam-packed with people so I think he was sort of like whoa <laughs> what's going on here all right ladies and gentlemen you're listening to KUHS LP Hot Springs 97.9 and you're in dad's house and you're listening to DJ Cat Daddy aka Carl and here's a little... So you were saying there are tons of people here tonight. You were saying this is normally your quiet time and your this domain. Is my... So what's it like? Well, what's it like when not when nobody is here? I turn off the lights because it's lighted up under, which is beautiful. And I just um, just listen to the music and dance and have a good time. I mean, I love it. It's, it's my fortress of solitude or whatever you want to say it is. And tell us when your show is. Uh, my shows are Sunday nights from 8 till 11. It's called Dad's House. It's a tribute to my dad. Um, it's music that I grew up listening to with him and everything like that. And that's, it's all based on him. It's all out of love. That's cool. And what station are we at? Uh, we're KUHSLP 97.9 Hot Springs, the state's only, I love doing that, solar powered <laughs> radio station. Radio stations are special communities, I think. Yeah, I, it's like I mean, a family. It is. Yeah. Like I said, it, it's just the music. And I love the fact that, that when my dad turns on the radio, Sunday nights from 8 till 11, it's his son talking to him. Which, you know, you know, me and my dad never had the greatest relationship, but because of this, I mean, we were tight before, but now we're just. Because he'll, you know, hey, you got to play this, this, and this. And he'll give me three songs. And from the three, I'll build the list. And then I'll go, oh. And then I'll play a song that I remember him and mom like this one. This song, him and mom had a fight when I was a kid. And that was how he apologized to her. He played music. So all the music that I play, a lot of it is connected to something. So, like I said, my dad is, he laughs, because at the end of the show, he'll love the show, blah, 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 and then he'll say, okay, why'd you play this one? And I'll tell him, and he goes, you remember that? And I'm like, Pop, that's all I remember. It's the, the stuff, I mean, it's music, man. Without it, I'd be lost. Do you have any of his records? Who, my dad's? Mm -hmm. No, my dad's got a CD collection that is out of this world. And when we were kids, I don't know if you remember, in the 70s, they would make these, um, like these fake radio broadcasts where it'd be like they talk about something and then they use the title from a song, a snippet from the song to say it was weird. Um, Rick Dees did it a lot. Uh, and my dad would do it, him and his friend. 
and they would make these radio shows on cassette, and I used to steal and listen to them. And so it's kind of funny I'm doing this. Yeah. It's weird. I used to do that with my sister. We would do fake radio shows on cassette. Oh, God. I love this. so fun. We were inspired by Dr. Demento. Shut up. I love Dr. I used to. Yeah. When my mom and dad split up and we were living with my stepdad uh, in Memphis, Tennessee, at midnight on Sunday nights, Dr. Demento show. And I had a little transistor radio and that little headset that ran out of it. Yeah. And I'd be in the bed and be up under my pillow and I'd listen to it and try not to laugh or giggle or whatever. Are you asleep? Yeah, I'm asleep. <laughs> totally, yeah. I mean, I definitely, I used to listen to radio drama at night, too. Oh, my God. Because there were stations that would play The Shadow. Oh, I listened to, I used to listen to Twilight Zone on the radio. I, I loved all of that. Wow, show. that would be cool. I was, they had the Twilight Zone episodes. I mean, just, oh. I loved it. I love radio. I love music. Well, just music in yeah. general. I think that's what brings a lot of people to radio is their love of music. Yeah, Certainly that's the case for me. Yeah, I just, I like it though. You know, I talked and I came back the next morning when the station was empty to get a few more photos and talk to a couple more DJs. And it, it was amazing how quickly I got really personal stories from all three of the DJs that I talked to at KUHS about how the station already has been such an important part of their life. It's only been on the air for about a year um, and it's already creating a big impact on the participants. So I came back the next morning and there were two DJs there and they were a married couple and it turned out it was their wedding anniversary that day. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's like out of a script, right? Um, and so um, the the DJ who was on the air when I got there, his name is Trinity. Um, and then his wife was there preparing for her show, DJ Kitty. And she talked about how her husband is the one that got her involved with the station and that he didn't know it, but she was going to devote her entire show to him today. So she was doing her, her show prep and was going to play some songs that were meaningful to them and their relationship and, to show how much she appreciates him. So I was like starting to tear up talking to her. <laughs> so could you tell me your name um, and if you have a DJ name and how you got involved with KUHS LP? Uh, my name is Trinity Daves and on air I just go by Trinity. Um, I'm blessed with a good radio name from birth. And I got into KUHS and community radio because a friend of mine, Jonathan Westmoreland was doing a show and still is on Sunday nights and knew that I had a long-term interest in radio and pointed out that they were still looking for people to fill slots and I just about wet myself getting to the computer and putting in an application. That was a little over six months ago and I love it. So what do you love about this place in particular? I like the freedom of being able to um, express myself, the involvement in the community and the way that Everything about the station is open to the community. You know, um, you know, I even generally do my show with the studio door open, and if there's noise going on in the studio or even the front door open out on the street, I think that's part of the show. We're we're tied to our community in ways that um, you know your commercial radio stations, even local ones, aren't. 
So can you tell me about your radio past and how, when you started thinking that you might like doing radio? I've actually wanted to do radio since I was in my early teens or so. I'm probably 13 or 14. I decided I want to wanted to, and started pestering our local radio stations on the phone constantly at night with um, both requests and just looking to chat with the DJs and find out how to get in. And then right after high school, I did get in and hated it, every second of it. Um, so you, you did know, commercial radio? Yes, commercial radio on a local station here, 100,000 watt, uh, 56 counties in three states. And it was so rigid and so defined, you know, every, Everything was laid out for you bit by bit, and there were, you know, to the point where you were asked to lie to your listeners about the upcoming songs if they called in with a request. And it was just so phony, so fake and plastic, I hated it. And so, how is it different here? I mean, do the experiences even feel similar at all? Aside from the, you know, getting on the microphone, even at the commercial station, was a little bit of a rush every time, and I still get that, but I also get that freedom that I wanted in the first place. I can, if I want to, I could play four hours of They Might Be Giants. Um, you know, I could, Zach would pretty much uh, condone anything that I wanted. He's a wonderful director. And, um, you know, if I want to go and do a show where I don't play any music and interview a, peop- a few people from the community, I can do that too. Um, you know, I'm just, I can do what I want to and I can listen to my audience and find out what they want and try to cater to their needs and desires. And so I'm interrupting you in the middle of your show, but what So what are you doing today? Did you have a particular inspiration for your show? Uh, no, uh, my show in general, I started out like a lot of the guys here just doing a mixtape music thing. Of, you know, here's songs that I think should be on the air more. But then after a little while, um, I started playing a few Arkansas artists, and that got a lot of attention and favorable response, so I thought I'd do a little more. And within about a month or so, I was trying and succeeding most of the time and filling the full four hours with nothing but musicians from the state. And it's continued to gain ground. I got invited to judge the Battle of the Bands over the last couple weekends and next weekend. And, you know, that it's, it's amazing because it all feeds into each other everything you know meshes up and grows yeah well and it's so how big is hot springs uh hot springs i think counting the outlying areas we're around forty thousand people oh, okay now. not huge but big enough to yeah you know. yeah that's pretty big i mean it feels very small town in the little historic downtown area yeah. so it seems like it would be a community where you would run into people you know all the time absolutely and you know, the downtown area is where it's at, definitely, for arts and the culture and the full community experience. Okay, cool. Well, I think I'm going to let you cue up your music. <laughs> thank well, you. Well, thank you. <laughs> so, so you're also here in the studio, and you have a show coming up. Do you want to tell me your DJ name and what the concept of your show is? My DJ name is Kitty, and the name of the show is Music of the Lost. And the original concept came from all of these different genres of music that are coming together in media, uh, movies, TV, and gaming. And a lot of people take the gaming music for granted and don't see some spectacular music that goes on 
in the productions of gaming. Um, you know, Bethesda does a lot of great music with their games, and I wanted to bring a lot of that into my show. And it ended up we have the I do the twelve to two slot, and we have the Geek Hour from twelve to one. And I like to play all of the geeky stuff, all the geeky girl stuff. Um, you know, stuff from comics to uh, like um, Superman and. Um, on down the list, I really can't tell you the the uh, Doctor Who, uh, Star Wars, and you know, of course, Star Wars, um, Star Trek, Firefly. I'm a huge Josh Whedon fan, and he had Buffy, and you know, he had a lot of great shows. And you can tell in his writing when he's doing the writing, and I like to you know to bring that on board on my show. And all of this has been um, inspired by my husband who who you spoke to, Trinity, and um, I, I've thought about music, I've been very involved in the musical community, I've been a, a booking agent, and uh, know a lot of the people around town, and people out of state, I have a lot of networking that way. And She was my first connection to local musicians. Yes. Zach is a great manager, and he lets us do what we feel we need to do. And um, with some of the problem, medical problems that I've had, Trinity runs the board for me while I have my music list, and we get to banter, which is fun, because we're both geeks. I, I'm, I'm the girl gamer geek, and he's just the geek. Yeah. <laughs> and that's always fun and entertaining. And today, specifically, I am, this is the first time I'm getting away from that, and he does not know this. This is a surprise for him, but my entire two hours are going to be dedicated to our 16th wedding anniversary because he got me into this, and I think it's only fair that I dedicate two hours of my music to him, be it geeky or not. There's going to be some stuff that's going to be very geeky. Um, a lot. There's. Um, I've got stuff from Burlesque in it, um, uh, True Blood that was so popular for a while, um, Back to the Vampire Slayer. And then just some old love songs that are always a part of our history and will always be there. And I like that we get a chance and have the opportunity to do that. Because he's done a lot for me in the last few months. I was diagnosed with MS and he cares for me greatly. He does everything he can for me. And I think it's only fair I dedicate my show to him today. It's amazing. You know, I know the power of music. And I know how therapeutic it can be to have a show and how music can be connected to stages of your life. And it's just amazing to talk to three DJs at a station and, and to have them articulate that, you know, within very short interviews with me. Yeah, it's always important to hear these stories, I think, in these particulars. Uh, you know, because we say there's the power of radio all the time to the extent to which it becomes, I think, uh, rote, right? And it starts to just sound like a, a, a brand or a slogan without being able to kind of fill in these actual details, right? And so when you hear these stories of these people uh, who, who are sort of using radio as a way to, to enrich their lives and others, um, you really get a sense for like, oh, this is why a community radio in particular – Right where where folks who might not ever otherwise been on the radio or otherwise had uh, this type of uh, platform uh, to share with 
would never have been able to otherwise do it. You know, that, that really helps to illustrate why community radio in particular, I think, is important and, uh, and has some meaning. Yeah. And, you know, they have control over what they're doing on their shows and that's part of it. So it has more, more, it's more meaningful, I would imagine, not having done radio where people told me what to play. But I would think it's more meaningful if you have creative control and so things can get very personal. Um, And that's, it's nice to hear these very specific stories about that. Jennifer, thanks so much for going to GRC, the Grassroots Radio Conference, on all of our behalf. Um, and thank you so much to the Patreon supporters of Radio Survivor, who, uh, because of their contributions, were able to help make that a little bit easier for you. Yes, I'm very appreciative, and thank you, one and all. And certainly we can always use your help to help send uh, Jennifer or any of us really to more uh, conferences, to see more stations or to be at more events uh, where we can share the takeaways with the audience. Or just to take the few hours needed to call some certain people (laughs) on the phone and record those conversations. Yeah, we're all we're all sort of stealing uh, our time away from other things to be able to create this podcast. So we do really enjoy doing it. Um, anything you do to help us along in making it and helping Radio Survivor continue surviving is greatly appreciated. Go to RadioSurvivor.com slash support. When you contribute to our Patreon campaign, uh, you you agree. You say, hey, well, I'll give you one, two, five, ten dollars $10 a month so that we can sort of rely on a certain level of funding coming in every single month to help us make the show. Um, if you can't make that sort of commitment, we totally understand. But if you could even make a one-time uh, donation to the show and to the website, we'd really appreciate it. You can do that as well. Go to radiosurvivor.com slash support. And of course, uh, you got anything to say about anything we talked about here, we'd love to hear from you. And if you would love to be on the show and you think you've got something to share, we'd love to hear from you as well. Send us an email to podcast at radiosurvivor.com. And Jennifer, did you have some other station tours uh, while you were away? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we've got a few more. We've got a few more to share there. They'll be. Uh, how, how many did up. you squeeze into this trip? It was a jam packed schedule. I saw two on the night that I flew in. Other than, <laughs> in the, my fl- other oh, than wow. the host station. Two additional yeah, I saw two that I, I actually flew into Little Rock, rented a car and drove to Fayetteville, which is like a three hour drive. <laughs> My flight was two hours late. Um, so I had to push back two of these tours. So I was seeing stations after dark at University of Arkansas, mm-hmm. KXUA, and then a new low power FM station, KPSQ, uh, both in Fayetteville. And then the next day I awoke before dawn and saw a station at University of the Ozarks, which is a low-power FM student station from the first low-power FM window, KUOZ, in Clarksville. I kept thinking of Partridge Family Mm -hmm. when I was driving to Clarksville. And then um, Hendricks College's college radio station in Conway, and that's KHDX. And then community radio station KABF in Little Rock. Did I just count five additional stations then? Is that what I hear? Plus K plus yeah. KUHS. Plus the host, the host station. station. So that's or GRC. We need we need to start issuing a scorecard yeah, but to, going, for everyone to play at home. Going back home to the game. Patreon page. I know. That's, uh, you just squeezed a whole well, lot I, of value out of out of no the, the the humble donations oh from God. the Patreon campaign. That's fantastic. Well, and when this, 
when the podcast airs, I will be en route to Philadelphia to see even more stations. <laughs> oh, that's right. You're you're off to Philadelphia, and you'll be going to Haverford uh, to go give the talk that you that illness or that a that a, a bug bite. Right. right, it was a bug bite, yes. wasn't it? Yes, a bug bite stopped you from uh, being able to give yes. the talk you were year. born to give. Indeed, yes. Great, so that'll yeah. be next. That'll be the day after the podcast, I guess, on Wednesday, and then I'm speaking at the College Broadcasters Inc. conference on Thursday and Friday. Wow! So big, yeah. It's going to be a while before all these station tours are written up. I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, you know, that means there's always something to look forward to. Uh, thank it's you true. so much, Jennifer, for uh, going to GRC and sharing it with us. Yes. And thanks to everyone uh, for listening. Bye, everybody. <laughs>